When it says, you shall not bear false witness, it dishonors God when we share slanderous tales or even truthful tales in a way that is designed to hurt somebody, to inflict harm on their name or their reputation. You notice it's the motivation is the problem. Is our motivation vengeance? Is it because we're jealous and envious? We've got to check our motivations over and over again because at the heart of all these laws is the law of the heart. So you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. What's the purpose of learning and reviewing the laws God has given us? It's to make sure our hearts are in the right place. Pastor Daniel today asks us to check the motivation we have behind what we're doing each and every day, what we're saying, and how we're treating those we come in contact with. If our hearts are tuned toward our Creator, our motivations will match His. When that happens, we'll shine His light to everyone we meet. Now, here's Pastor Daniel with his continuing study, The Big Ten. Let's open up in your Bibles to the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 5. At this juncture, your Bible should probably just fall open to Deuteronomy chapter 5, because I think we've been in this chapter now. This is our fifth week here in the first part of Deuteronomy chapter 5. And the reason that is, is because we've called this series Refresh, because Moses is giving a refresher course in all of the law to the generation that's about to enter the promised land. He had given the entire law to the generation who he led out of Egypt. But remember, because of their lack of faith, they ended up wandering in the wilderness for 40 years, and an entire generation, except for Caleb and Joshua, passed away and died in the wilderness. And so now the next generation, the emerging generation is there on the precipice of the promised land. And Moses is about to go home to be with the Lord. So he's like, I'm going to give you a refresher course. And I think this is important because education theory will tell us that repetition is the greatest teacher. I don't know if you ever heard this, but you can become an expert at anything if you invest 10,000 hours in it. That's what statistics will tell you that you can become an expert in anything if you're willing to invest 10,000 hours. And anybody who's amazing at something, they spend countless hours going over it and over it and over it again to get it deep down in the midst of us. Like today, I was, I had the pleasure of being in our studio pretty much the entire day. And uh, I was in there with Pastor Jason, his son Micah, and a couple of Jaybird, a saxophone player named Renato. And all of these men are absolutely brilliant musicians. And in a lot of ways, what makes them so amazing is that what they do, they do effortlessly. And why do they do it effortlessly? Because they've done it a million times. They've gone through this stuff a million times. When you watch a phenomenal basketball player or a golfer, if you watch somebody who is oddly, extraordinarily good at Excel spreadsheets, it's because they've done it over and over and over again, and it comes in two. For the rest of us, we're like, how did you do that? Like, what did you do there? Can you help me with this? And so that need for the refresh, 
And brothers and sisters, I don't want to miss the moment to say, you need to be memorizing God's word. You need to take scriptures. You need to write them on index cards. You need to set it up on your phone so that every hour your alarm goes off and it shows you a scripture because the repetition of seeing these things over and over again, they get down deep into who we are. And God wants his word to be deep down in our hearts. Because you know what happens when you have God's word memorized? Then God keeps you on a short leash. Because you go to do something, and all of a sudden a verse props up. And oftentimes they pop up like an unwanted guest. Because oftentimes we just want to do what we want to do. Like one of my favorite ones that I memorize is, do all things without grumbling and complaining. And you know when you want to complain how that baby shows up as an unwelcome guest. Because you get all grumpy about something. You have all the reasons why, every, you know, and you do all things without grumbling and complaining. And you're like, oh, I hate God's word. <laughs> and I say that with my tongue firmly implanted in my cheek because I don't want to be a complainer because God created my mouth to bring blessings. And he wants my words to build up. And when I complain and I grumble, what do I do? Well, I complain and grumble. Anybody feel good after someone complains in your direction? No. So God's word does something. Then Jesus says some crazy stuff like love your enemies. Because you know what it's like when you have someone who you really don't like, who's really hurt you. You start kind of planning how you're going to undermine them. You come up with all the ways like, oh, yeah. It's like you start plotting and planning and then you hear... Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. And you're like, God's way is different. And there's so many of these verses. For some of us, we feel condemned because we struggle. And then if you have Romans chapter 8, verse 1 memorized, you hear, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, who walk according to the Spirit, not according to the flesh. So every time I start feeling condemned because I didn't do a good job, or I didn't live up to the standard that I believe I'm supposed to live up to, I hear the Lord saying, you're not condemned. You're in Christ. Every time I begin to think of myself as unloved or unlovable, I remember that my Bible tells me I'm beloved in Christ. See, that's what happens when you have God's word memorized. All of a sudden, God's reality invades my own reality and your reality. And Moses is given this refresher course because he wants to make sure that that when they go in the promised land, they can honor God and they can live in such a way that brings glory to God. Now, I better jump in because I made the commitment that I'm finishing the Ten Commandments tonight. And the very first one that we're going to look at here, what would be the Ninth Commandment in verse 20 of Deuteronomy 5 says, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. So because I made the commitment that I'm going to finish the Ten Commandments, I don't want to bear false witness against myself. Now, do not bear false witness. You guys ever hear the phrase, the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth? So help me God, right? That's how it goes in a court of law. Now listen. Why does God want to make sure that we value and speak the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth? Why? Because Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but by him. That's John 14, 6. 
In the Bible, we find that God is the God of all truth. Isaiah 65, 16. His words are true. You can find that all over Psalm 119. And in the list of the things that God hates from the book of Proverbs chapter 6, one of them is the lying tongue. So God wants not only our lives, but our speech to be all about the truth. Now let's be honest for a second. We're all terrified of the truth, aren't we? We're not terrified of Jesus being the truth, but we're terrified of actually owning who we really are. We have a tendency to gloss over our own failings. We never gloss over somebody else's. But you know what the beauty of the truth is? Is that when Jesus died on the cross, he knows everything about who we really are and he loves us still. And when you and I are able to step out of all the masks that we wear and all of the ways that we posture to make us look better than we actually are, at that point when we are vulnerably and truly who we really are, Jesus says, yeah, I know that about you. See, God doesn't ask us to pretend to be what we're not. He asks us to be honest about who we are and receive all of his grace along the way. And I believe that one of the things that is the most freeing about the message of Jesus is that I don't have to put on a mask. I don't have to pretend to be more spiritual than Jesus. And I don't have to pretend that I have it all together. For a lot of people in ministry, especially pastors, they decide that they have to bear the cross of being perfect. When the Bible says that there's only one perfect person, Jesus. And I think for many of us, God wants to set us free from performance anxiety. Because Jesus already died and rose again. And when you make a mistake, you can just say, sorry, I messed that up. I got that wrong. God's working on me. I've shared it many times. It's one of the ways Lynn and I are raising our kids. Because too often as parents, we have the tendency to always pretend like we never got it wrong and our kids are watching us and they know we're getting it wrong and we're pretending like we don't get it wrong and they're looking at us being like, huh? So every time we get something wrong with our kids, we just go and say, hey, you know, I'm so sorry. We didn't get that right. And it's funny, Obadiah, he's funny because he's always like, yeah, dad, I know God's still working on you. (laughs) Come on, dad, let me pray for you. (laughs) You know, but we just decided we weren't going to make that mistake. There's no perfect parent except for the the Lord. God the Father's a perfect parent. The rest of us are dysfunctional. See, God is okay with the fact that we're in process. Actually, God actually rather likes the fact that we're in process. And so I think for many of us, we put on a lot of masks. When you come to church, you put the churchy mask on. You go to work, you put the work mask on. You go home, you put the family mask on. And I believe that what Jesus really wants us to do is just to be okay being like, you know, God's doing the work. Now, I'm not saying we should just let it all hang out either, because that's sin. But in the ways that we don't get it all right, what do most of us do? And like, I have a huge history of this. I understand it personally. It's like when you get something wrong and someone calls you on it, what do you do? You fight with them about it. Or you tell them what they're doing wrong. 
which is actually a great adventure at missing the point of what God's doing. See, the Lord loves to dwell with those who are of a broken and a contrite heart. And a person who has a broken and a contrite heart is someone who can just say, yeah, that was a train wreck. Yeah, I'm so, I got that wrong. Will you forgive me? When you say something that you shouldn't have said, you say, you know, I'm so sorry, I shouldn't have said that. You know, will you forgive me? Because you know what happens? Then all the issue stops. But what we do is we fight against the reality of who we are and we just make matters worse. We alienate relationships. And so God cares that we do not only bear, we don't bear false witness about ourselves, but also that we don't slander other people. Now, there is a sweet spot between being a truth teller and wanting righteousness and love covering a multitude of sins. And I have to bring that up because it's like you'd say, listen, don't bear false witness or don't, don't share. But there is a, all through our Bibles, we have truth telling happening. But we need to seek the Lord. We have to ask ourselves our motivations and what we're doing. It's very common in our culture to slander people. We tell stories invented to do harm. It's really one of the worst forms of injury we can do to somebody else. Now, I do not believe it's righteous to hide somebody's rebellion. But there's also a godly way to approach that rebellion. And you could read about that in the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew chapter 18, where it says if someone's doing something wrong, you go to them. You don't talk about it to everybody. You go to them. And if they won't hear you and they won't change, then you go to somebody else and the two of you go. See, it says nothing about going and telling everybody about it. See, God's design is that when we do something wrong, we want to be confronted, or we should, so that we can say, you know, you're right. I got that wrong. But the telling everybody it isn't God's way. Now, at the same time, as it relates to the church, I think it's also important that when a pastor falls... I think that pastor needs to come and repent publicly because we hold a public office in the midst of the church. And I think that's a part of that so that we can say as leaders, listen, I failed. And I try and get my garbage out there pretty regularly so nobody is under any illusions that I have it all together. And I often use myself as the example of the person who doesn't have it together because I realize that I am fatally flawed glorious redeemed by Jesus. So I don't feel like as a pastor, I have to pretend like I don't, I have it all together. But at the same time, there are boundaries where as a pastor that I have disqualified myself from ministry. And if that were to ever happen, then I would have to come in and tell you all that and resign from my position. And so there is a sweet spot in the midst of all this. The key for you and for me is to make sure that we guard our words, that we don't say things to intentionally harm another person. And that if you realize that somebody is struggling, rather than talking about it to other people, you go to that person and you address it with them one-on-one. And in the best case scenario, that person repents and God's grace covers it and it's over. 
If that can't happen, then you bring another person and there's an escalation. But it's never telling the story to everybody. It's dealing with your brother one-on-one. God loves it when we use our mouths to speak blessing, not to pass along slander. That phrase, the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, that should be the testimony of the words of the people of God. Because the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth actually lines exactly up with the heart of God because Jesus is the truth and he's the God of all truth. You know, there's always says that, you know, they ever say there's three sides to every story, the two sides of the people and the one side that God knows. And God wants us to walk in that truth, not my truth or your truth, but what's God's truth in the midst of this? And God wants our words to share that out there. So we keep saying it. People oftentimes say, I don't really like the Ten Commandments because, of course, there's so many don'ts. But as we always say, that you can't know how to do something if you also know how not to do it. You know, it's like, like I remember when my grandma was teaching me how to make spaghetti sauce. Because when you're all Italian, that's one of the blessings you get. Your grandma teaches you how to make that stuff. She said, now, Danny, and my grandma can call me Danny, and you can if you bring me a cannoli, and some of you do that every once in a while. She'll say, now, Danny, don't burn the garlic. Brown it. Don't burn it. Because if you're going to make a good sauce, you don't want to burn the garlic. You just need to brown it so the flavor spreads out. And it's not like, oh, I can't believe it's so many no's in cooking. It's like, no, no, you just don't want to burn it. And so when it says, you shall not bear false witness, it dishonors God when we share slanderous tales or even truthful tales in a way that is designed to hurt somebody, to inflict harm on their name or their reputation. You notice it's the motivation is the problem. Is our motivation vengeance? Is it because we're jealous and envious? We've got to check our motivations over and over again because at the heart of all these laws is the law of the heart. So you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Now, I didn't want you to miss the, who's it against? Your neighbor. What was Jesus' greatest commandment? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, and love your who? Your neighbor as yourself. Now, according to your Bible, who's your neighbor? Everybody. That's right. Everybody's your neighbor. And I know you're, when I say, you know, who's your neighbor? Everyone thinks Mr. Rogers, right? Won't you be my neighbor? You already are everybody's. Literally, everybody's your neighbor. So we got to watch our mouths. That's really what we learn here. Now, the 10th commandment, verse 21, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife or, and you shall not desire your neighbor's house, his field, his male servant, his female servant, his ox, his donkey, or anything that is your neighbor's. So this is the inward motivation that we would call covetousness. Now, I believe it was Francis of Assisi who had said that I have heard the confessions of thousands of men and I never once heard a man confess the sin of covetousness. Now, this is a brutal one for us because we live in a culture that relentlessly advertises and markets to us. Right? You can't go anywhere without billboards and all of the advertisements are designed to get us to desire something other than what we have. 
Like how many of you, like you're sitting in traffic, right? You're sitting in traffic on I-5 and it's frustrating. And then you go home at night, you turn on your favorite TV program and there's a commercial about some four-wheel drive SUV where all of a sudden someone's in traffic and they drive off-road and before you know it, there's a beautiful vista on a mountaintop and they're living the dream, right? And you just sat in traffic for an hour and a half and you're thinking, I really need to get myself a four-wheel drive. Now, mind you, Nobody's pulling off of I-5 and driving up on a little mountain and sitting at a vista. But it's telling you, this car will save you from traffic boring hell. That's what it says. That's the message. You ladies, the marketing that goes on to make you look younger, thinner, whatever, literally, it's a billion-dollar industry. Here's the new cream, and if you put this cream on, it's going to save you from wrinkle hell. (laughs) If you buy this special thing with electrodes that you wear under your shirt, it's going to save you from belly flat hell. (laughs) And guys, don't miss it that they just want to sell you lousy beer to think that you'll be cool if you drink light beer or something. And everybody knows that ain't a cool thing anyway. (laughs) But like... It all drives us to covetousness. It all drives us to say, what God has given me is not enough, and I need another one. Don't miss the fact that with our technology, it's like right as you get the newest iPhone, and I like the iPhone just like the next guy, but sure enough, the next one comes out, and that thing can go to slow-mo video, and they can do this, and it's thinner, and it's cooler, and it's got a 97,000 megapixel camera. Do you remember when we had like a one megapixel camera? We thought it was so cool. Like it wasn't like you got to take the film and you got to drop it off at the drugstore and it comes back like a week later and half the pictures are lousy. It's like now it's like just a hard drive. I remember the first memory card I had was like 12 megabytes. I think you put like four pictures on it. And now it's like this thing is crazy. And every time there's always the next one because your old phone is never good. It's like six months later, it's not good anymore. And if we don't check ourselves, this thing's wrecking us. It really is. Because every single person is always, this isn't good enough, and this isn't good enough. And then it goes into relationships. And my husband isn't handsome enough, or my wife isn't cute enough, and we don't make enough money. And there's this whole thing that goes on, which is in direct violation of the Tenth Commandment. You and I, like the Apostle Paul, need to learn how in all ways to be content. And let's be honest, we're lousy at being content. Our entire economy and culture is driven on nothing is good enough. I never get enough. It's always a little bit more. Give me a little bit more. A little bit more money. A little bit more of this. A little bit more of that. And it drives us and it's all flesh, my friends. It's flesh. And I got to call it what it is because our Bibles tell us what it is. It says, you shall not covet not only your neighbor's wife because that's your neighbor's wife. You should covet your own wife. You got more than enough in your own house, but also not only that, but their house. Jesus is real. Pastor Daniel today discussed the final two commandments to refresh our minds on God's desire for the way we live. Throughout our own studies and application of God's laws, we need to be aware of our heart and motivation behind all we do. 
Jesus is Real Radio is the radio ministry of Daniel Fusco of Crossroads Community Church. The messages that you hear each day here on Jesus is Real Radio were produced from messages that Pastor Daniel shared on Sunday mornings and the midweek study. It's our prayer that this teaching from God's Word blessed and encouraged you in your walk with Jesus Christ. Hey everybody, Pastor Daniel Fusco here. I'm the lead pastor of Crossroads Community Church. I love that God invites all of us to be a part of His family, and I wanted to invite you to be a part of my family of faith. In Vancouver, services on Sundays at 9 a.m., 11 a.m., and 1 p.m., or in Southwest Portland, our service on Sundays at 10 a.m., as well as midweek services Wednesday at 7 p.m. at both campuses. We would love to have you join us, and if you're at a distance, check us out on our internet campus, crossroadslive.tv. I look forward to seeing you soon. Next time on Jesus is Real Radio, Pastor Daniel wraps up his discussion on the Ten Commandments. It's easy for us to become unaware of our sins, so this refresher course is excellent to retune our hearts and minds toward God's desires for us. You've been listening to Jesus is Real Radio with Pastor Daniel Fusco of Crossroads Community Church. Pastor Daniel will continue teaching through his series, Refresh. Until then, may God bless. God bless.